Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Where Credit's Due. I'm your host, Yulia Trudina, senior reporter at Tearsheet. Today, we're talking about crypto lending. Many crypto holders out there don't plan on spending it or cashing out, and now they can earn pretty high yields on their crypto assets, which baffle many folks in traditional finance. This nascent market draws skepticism, but also many passionate people looking to innovate. My guests today are Matt Balanswig, Managing Director and Co-Head of Trading and Lending at Genesis, and Shannon Alman, General Manager of Retail at BlockFi. Genesis and BlockFi are both some of the biggest centralized lending platforms out there, so tune in to find out how the crypto market evolved into offering retail and institutional investors the possibility to lend with crypto assets as collateral, how they're able to give out high yields on deposit accounts, and what needs to happen regulatory-wise in order to gain more trust with the wider finance community. Awesome. So thank you both for joining me. This is super exciting. Crypto is obviously a booming industry and uh, everybody's thinking and talking crypto these days. But there is also a segment that uh, is very interesting and growing as well. So as crypto grew in popularity, so has the need for liquidity and capital. So there we go. Enter crypto lending. Um, what do you guys think of this? Tell me of your overview of the, of the market and where your company is positioned there currently. Sounds great. Yeah, I'm happy to start. Um, so my name is Matt Balanswag. I am co-head of trading and lending at Genesis. Uh, Genesis is one of the largest institutional lenders in the crypto market. Uh, we've been around since um, really 20, I think it was 2014, 2015, when we kind of solely kind of focused on Bitcoin trading. And then we actually launched our lending business in uh, early 2018 to create kind of a two-sided market um, on both the kind of coin and cash side of, of the institutional uh, kind of lending flow. So um, you know, my, my current role there is actually leading up our, our kind of lending team. I've built out the business over the last four years, and we've been, you know, super active uh, in the market, I, I'd say, since we launched the business in, in 2018. We're now a uh, about a $12 billion active loan portfolio, um, and we lend out to some of the largest hedge funds, trading firms, market makers, and uh, investors kind of in, in the crypto market. And at the same time, we'll kind of go and borrow uh, and help other depositors generate yield that are on the supply side. So the market's come a really long way, you know, over the last five years. It's it's a tremendous source of liquidity for uh, the the institutional players, and Genesis really sits right right at the forefront of it. So you know, we've been doing this for for quite a long time. Um, we're active in not only you know Bitcoin or ETH or stablecoin, but also a lot of the other kind of altcoins, um, you know, that that institutions trade. Um, so yeah, I think that the market's certainly kind of on the cusp of institutionalization. Uh, it's evolved a lot over the last few years and, um, you know, not, not only are you seeing kind of the institutional side of the market develop, but you're also seeing, you know, now kind of the, uh, really on-chain lending market start to develop in, in the world of DeFi as well. So I think Genesis, sits really right at the cross section between institutional capital and um, really, and then on-chain kind of crypto-native market structure as well, and can help bridge that you know bridge that gap by bringing in institutional uh, you know balance sheet into a space that you know is pretty uh, in need of, of of cash for for kind of trading and arbitrage reasons. The BlockFi side, we're very much uh, we sit in the middle between the uh, retail client. Um, overall, that's the strategy I uh, see as the retail business on the BlockFi side. 
but the intersection between the retail side and the institution, um, very much partnering um, uh, with our clients uh, to help them find liquidity. And you know, from 2017, BlockFi really pioneered on the retail side of how do we provide uh, the ability for our clients to have liquidity and utilize their assets for more than just the gains within the market so that clients could utilize it as a collateralized loan and in turn re- uh, receive uh, USD to be able to go purchase the things that uh, help their lives. And then as we've gone through this, we've seen very much uh, over how the market's been changing that our institutional side, people are very excited in how they get into the market, but also how that we can help them and provide liquidity both through our traditional means of pulling in client side, uh, but also looking for ways that we can provide liquidity for our uh, institutional partners. Awesome. But tell me, what are the railways that enable this sort of marketplace to exist? So what are, what's the underwriting that goes behind lending against crypto assets? Well, I'll start on the retail side. Uh, the retail side is very much, um, it's not what you consider in your traditional uh, credit underwriting. It's very much more from a collateralized loan asset. So if a client has the assets, uh, Bitcoin or uh, Ethereum, or uh, and they want to come in and Litecoin, and they want to be able to um, borrow, uh, it's very much based on a loan to value. So if a client has the assets available, uh, they can choose um, uh, the loan that they would like to receive based on loan to value. And then they would start uh, making payments on the next month. So it's not something that would come in and, and actually look at credit score, but it's very much a securitized loan. And then they take those assets and then they can go and purchase um uh, or finance other areas such as like a mortgage, a car, or however they would like to utilize this asset. Awesome. And, and, and on the institute, I can speak to kind of the institutional market a bit. So it, you know, when you think about, you know, railways that enable the marketplace to exist generally, um, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces. You need, I mean, first you need kind of obviously uh, a segment of depositors that are looking to generate yield for this whole marketplace to exist, right? So you need folks with capital that want to earn on that. Um, you then need platforms like BlockFi or like Genesis that can help kind of aggregate those deposits and provide infrastructure, uh, you know, for, for those folks to kind of generate that return. Um, and then you need risk managers, obviously, to think about, like, how are you actually deploying that capital? Who are you lending it to to generate, you know, the yield? Are you trading with it? Uh, you know, how do you think about the risk adjusted nature of generating the yield on that capital? Um, and there's a lot of kind of considerations that, that goes into that risk management um, portion, which I can touch on in, in a bit. Um, and then you also need, obviously, like exchanges, right? You need, you need venues to offer liquidity. Um, you need, you know, both centralized exchanges like Binance or FTX, uh, but also, you know, decentralized exchanges, um, you know, like the Uniswap or others uh, to really kind of provide liquidity to the marketplace. And then lastly, you need kind of like financial, um, you know, like basically fiat on and off ramps. So how do you, you know, how do you get dollars into, you know, onto exchanges, into stable coins? And so you have, um, you know, products like USDC, which is, you know, one of the most popular stable coin products in the, in the US, um, which, is, which is really owned by Coinbase and Circle. You also have 24-7 settlement uh, with, through, through some of the kind of progressive crypto banks like Silvergate and Signature. So I'd say from a Rails perspective, like those are all kind of the components that help provide liquidity and kind of grease the skids for this ecosystem to work. Underneath that, then obviously there's a very important piece of that, which is like the risk management and underwriting of, um, you know, how, how you rationalize the return on investment or the yield that, you know, platforms can offer to its, to its lenders or to its depositors. 
And I think the institutional side is a little bit different than the retail side in that it's not super cookie cutter um, where, you know, we just have kind of standard LTVs depending on the asset that's being pledged against the, you know, the, the borrowed um, asset. There's a lot more that goes into it because these are pretty massive organizations that we're actually underwriting and lending to. Um, you know, these are some of the biggest traditional hedge funds in the world. They're uh, big trading firms like Jump or Susquehanna or Jane Street. Um, and so there's a lot more uh, nuance to it. So, you know, on, on the Genesis side, we have uh, a whole you know, risk management team. There's a portion of those risk managers that are focused on the credit underwriting that actually look at, you know, the capitalization and balance sheet of the firms we're lending to and the use of proceeds and, and why they need financing and how they're using it. And then figuring out how do you get the right transparency um, to see that that is true, you know, once you actually make the loan and manage it over the life cycle. Um, and then, you know, to Shannon's point, there is also the LTV and kind of collateral element where, you know, when we lend capital to you know, even institutional counterparties, we obviously need some sort of bare collateral on hand uh, to manage and mitigate kind of the risk of, on, on the, you know, the market side of whatever they're posting. Um, and that might be Bitcoin, it might be ETH, it might be, uh, you know, other uh, kind of alt L1s. And Genesis can be pretty flexible in terms of what we take. Uh, but there is a whole process in determining, you know, what's the right level to start at? What should the margining process around that look like as these assets fluctuate in value? Um, and so that that kind of lands in our market and, and collateral risk teams plate to, to manage. So, um, you know, these are all the considerations that we think through um, in terms of, you know, in addition to, you know, things like operational risk in which, you know, providers we should use to hold assets and transfer them and, you know, deal with exchanges and other participants. So um, I think the underwriting process is pretty comprehensive, especially on the institutional side. Um, and then obviously, you know, there, there's a host of other kind of ramps or railways that enable the marketplace to really thrive, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah, and to add on to uh, what Matt was saying, very much in the institutional side, the, the size of the loans and the, um, the uh, sophistication of the institutions you're working with is very different than on the retail side. The retail side, we're trying to keep it very simple so we can get clients in and help them understand how they can uh, utilize their dollars, but at the same time, uh, give them the ability to continue to grow their assets while they're uh, utilizing the liquidity for other things. But definitely to Matt's point, the uh, the size of the loans and the sophistication of the, the borrower on the institution side requires much more um, much more due diligence in the evaluation of the counterparty and also the uh, the loans and the assets. That's super interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces there. But I, um, I like to start kind of at the beginning because it all starts with the depositor, right? And with crypto not being very transactional at the moment, there's obviously an opportunity there to enable clients to earn a yield on their crypto by lending to certain institutions. Um, but I'm just wondering, how are crypto, crypto lenders able to offer such high yields to deposit accounts? Yeah, happy happy to start on that one. Um, and this is this is obviously a question that that Genesis and the market at large gets a lot. You know, if you look at where stablecoin yields on USDC or or USDT or dollars have been, you know, over the last three years, they've been you know probably in the eight to twelve percent range, which when compared to other markets, uh, is is a lot higher yielding. And even if you look at Bitcoin and ETH, you know, yields, they're, you know, probably in the two or 3% range. So substantially lower. Uh, but we get the question a lot is, you know, how do you, how do you guys afford to pay, you know, depositors eight to 10% annualized on their, their, their stablecoin deposits or on their cash? 
And most people kind of immediately attribute that to there's, you know, there's more risk in the system. And because I'm getting a higher return, I must be taking more risk, which is not a bad framework to think about things. But I'd say for crypto, it's less of that and more of there's just more inefficiency in the market. It's a much newer, it's a much more opaque, nascent market than other, you know, asset classes. And with that becomes basically the ability to generate a higher return on investment via trading if you're a sophisticated institution. And so because ultimately the landing place of the capital that's being lent into the ecosystem lands in the hands of sophisticated trading institutions, uh, they can basically figure out a way to generate a return on their investment in a market as nascent as, as crypto that's higher than the 8 to, eight to 10% that we're willing to basically pay depositors. So you have Genesis and, and, and folks like BlockFi that kind of sit right in the middle and can basically act as the infrastructure layer, the intermediary, the underwriter that can allow for the facilitation of capital to come in, offer to pay a certain you know, rate to those depositors, knowing where they can lend out to the institutional you know, sophisticated clients on the other side, um, because they kind of understand the market structure and the different trade opportunities uh, out there. And if you were to just kind of break down, you know, what do those trading opportunities look like that can generate you know, 8 to 10%, there's a few of them. I think you know, one of them is just basically uh, the ability to arbitrage kind of spot and derivative markets. So if you have you know, access to cash, you can buy you know, Bitcoin spot, you can sell Bitcoin future on CME or other venues, uh, and you can kind of capture that implied basis spread between the derivative and the spot. That's really just a function of a lot of demand for kind of levered products in our market. Uh, there's market making strategies out there. There's other quantitative trading strategies, all that kind of culminate uh, an ROI that's historically been higher than eight to ten percent. So you know, I think the the thesis is that over time these spreads will come down and diminish. But because it, the, it's such an innovative, fast moving, evolving ecosystem, there just tends to exist uh, kind of a natural uh, you know arbitrage opportunity if you have uh, you know big trading operation and access to capital. Exactly what Matt said is like you know as we look at this, um, you know, all the time we get. Um, from the retail side, it, it's too good to be true. There's got to be some catch to it, or there's there's issues with the risk of my uh, my assets. But really, it's it comes down to that. It's very much you get into some of the traditional banking models. It's it's the it's the margin between your institutional borrower and uh, your retail lender as they uh, give their assets over. So because of the um, where we are in terms of the competition, the spreads are just much higher in terms of clients can um, come in and you know they borrow it. 12, 13, 14%, that gives us the ability to be able to offer that to our clients to give them over the hump as they're trying to learn about crypto and give them rates similar to six, seven, 8%. And that gets uh, new retail clients into the market. Um, they want to be able to take advantage of these extremely high yields. And in doing that, um, we're able to provide liquidity, liquidity into the market. And then we use the in-between uh, really being the spread between what we uh, lend out at. There's this element of crypto where like, you know, Based on our explanation, it begs the question: like, why are the why are there such arbitrage opportunities available where you can kind of generate eight to ten percent on a riskless basis? And it really comes down to just like an imbalance between the demand for leverage in crypto. Right, you have this whole retail market that wants to get long crypto, um, and that historically has wanted to get long, but they don't necessarily have the capital to get long, and so they're using levered products like futures or like swaps to basically express those views. And then at the same time, you don't have the lenders or like banks or prime brokers that you'd see in other markets supplying cash to the arbitragers to basically compress those spreads. And so you just get this naturally really wide deviation between derivative products 
and spot products that then just kind of structurally exists in the marketplace where in, in traditional markets, you, you might see a demand for leverage spike at times, but then you also have other lenders that basically provide capital to market makers that ultimately immediately kind of crush those arbitrage opportunities. And that same dynamic doesn't really play out in crypto because there's just still a lack of capital to kind of go around. Yeah, exactly. The, the, there's not as many players uh, that are willing to, to play in the middle. So the supply and demand is just off now. And then over time as the compression happens, but at the same time, there's probably going to be more institutions that'll get in. So I think to what Matt said before, we'll probably see uh, uh, healthy spreads for a while uh, as the market continues to evolve because we're still very nascent in this game. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's also a symptom of like the market's maturity, you know, we're still early days. So then, you know, as it continues to mature, we're, this spread will probably um, compress, as you said. And also to kind of touch a little bit on the on the arbitrage that you guys were mentioning. So, you know, the main a lot of the main use cases we've seen for crypto backed loans were typically speculative in nature. So probably more so on the retail side and with borrowers needing to access cash, but still wanting to benefit financially from the next bull run. Has this changed or, you know, how do you see this playing out? Well, I think on the smaller side, on the retail side, um, you get the retail uh, clients who as they look at what's going on in the market, they have the the traditional. This is their these are, this is their money. It's invested in an asset. And they're concerned holistically on what's going on uh, in the macro environment. So we get people who pull in, pull out, uh, who want to take advantage of uh, the asset going up while they can also have liquidity to live their lives. But right now, there's also times right now that we have some clients in the balance. They want to take advantage of the uh, down market right now to buy the dip. Now we have other clients that are trying to figure out what does this mean uh, for the overall uh, crypto ecosystem. So they're pausing. But I think it's very much like traditional equities. You have on the retail side, you have clients come in and come out. They have different drivers. And then some are still utilizing it to take advantage of both the buying the dip and being able to have liquidity to go live their lives and pay their mortgage. And you have other ones who are waiting on the sidelines to see where everything shakes out. So I think that's where the smaller traditional um, retail client has the same same concerns and fears that happen with the equity markets. And right now they're evaluating what their options are. And there's other ones who are a little bit more sophisticated that are getting excited and buying the dip. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, I think if you look at the evolution of, of the crypto market and, and lending and yield markets, I think a lot of the original demand was, was definitely driven by speculation on both sides of the market. Uh, when we actually first started our business back in 2018, a lot of it was, you know, right at the height of the bubble where, um, you know, where folks wanted to borrow to basically get short the market. And so they needed to get spot borrows on whether it was Bitcoin or ETH or, or other assets. And Genesis was really the only institutional kind of lender in town to offer that, you know, securities lending style of lending in crypto. Um, and then, you know, and then obviously on the next bull cycle up is, is when we saw all the demand for folks to kind of borrow dollars so that they could buy you know, crypto uh, with, with, the, with the borrowed dollars. So like, I think speculation was certainly a big part of the engine that powered lending markets for a long time. But then, you know, over, over the course of the next few years, you, did, you have seen a lot more sophisticated traders come into the space. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the firms that, that you know, have, have kind of market made other asset classes, uh, which I mentioned earlier, like the jumps or the Jane Streets or the Alamedas or um, you know, the DV tradings or DRWs, you know, they, they've obviously kind of come into the space in a, in a really big way and are borrowing not for speculative purposes. They're borrowing to actually take the other side and to, um, you know, to, and to kind of you know, look, look for mispricings and arbitrage opportunities in the market. 
Um, and then now you're also starting to see other players kind of come in as well for non-speculative reasons, but more for just like yield opportunities. Uh, there's, you know, there's banks now that are looking to kind of dabble in credit markets in crypto. Uh, there's obviously the two progressive banks that everybody knows in, in crypto, which is Silvergate and Signature. And not only are they banking a lot of the major crypto firms, but they're also now, you know, working on innovative loan structures with institutional counterparties like, like Genesis and others. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see even, you know, some larger banks, some of the bulge brackets make a big splash uh, in on the credit side as well. You know, you saw Goldman actually enter their first, um, you know, Bitcoin backed loan product to Coinbase. Uh, and, and, and I think that's really just kind of the, the first chip to fall. There's going to be a lot more participation in these markets from sophisticated institutions that aren't necessarily looking to, to kind of enter from a, from a speculative perspective, but more from just a participation yield uh, and, and ROI perspective. Definitely. We had our inaugural bank chain conference uh, recently, and a lot of the speakers um, you know, were from you know, infrastructure players, but also, you know, vendors and uh, banks as well. And the the one of the big, big, big themes that emerged out of our um, conference was uh, regulation. And you know, as you were mentioning, a lot of banks and there's a lot of players looking to get into the space, but compliance and regulation is still you know, anxiety inducing, uh, to say the least. So how do you uh, manage that? How do these financial instruments play out legally on your end? And how do you think the industry would benefit from more regulation or transparency on this front? On the retail side, you know, blocked by the way we think about regulation, if you if it's done right, it helps create transparency, it invites uh, more clients into the ecosystem, and it uh, helps to drive innovation uh, and rule out all the bad actors. Um, but it, it, it has to come with the uh, right balance because if it comes in too heavy handed, it does opposite of its intention. It drives out competition and it scares um, clients away. So right now, you know, as we're going into it, we're working very closely with regulators on how do we pro- create that transparency uh, for clients on the products that we're um, building. And also we're playing by the same rules that we already know um, uh, really drive trust. So like from a BlockFi point of view, as we go through it, there are certain regula- regulations that uh, we participate. AML, KYC, all these we still uh, see as the cornerstone of how we will build an overall uh, fintech um, uh, fortress for our retail clients so that they can build trust and overall build uh, banking and financial services. So I think as we go through, you'll see similar to the way that there were sort of fits and starts with uh, fintech uh, as, it, as um, banking services emerged online and originally were seen as something interesting and odd. And now today, uh, you could probably can't imagine without doing your financial services uh, on your phone. I think as you go through, what you'll see is there will be, um, uh, once again, it'll be an evolution. And the goal is to partner in with the regulators uh, to provide that transparency on what's going on in the industry and for our clients. And using some of the best uh, best practices we've already learned, but uh, the partnership is key. Is like because this is a very new and um, uh, ever changing market, so you need people on the other side that are in the crypto to really uh, educate uh, the regulators to make sure that uh, when you're making decisions, you do not have unintended consequences uh, that impact both innovation and uh, the client's trust. Yeah, and, and on our side, um, you know, I think first and foremost, I think the industry obviously can definitely benefit from you know, more regulatory clarity in general, uh, and, and specifically, um, you know, in, in lending markets, just given how much 
a growth there's been uh, on both the institutional side of the market and retail side of the market. It's it's been one of the fastest growing segments in all of crypto. Um, and even if you're just looking at you know the originations numbers for Genesis, you know we're now over 200 billion of loan originations since since, since inception back in 2018. So you know it goes to show that this is obviously an industry that's here to stay and requires. I think, you know, careful thought from regulators and, you know, and the firms that are leading the way to kind of partner with those regulators to figure out, you know, what are the right structures? How, how do these loans get classified? Um, you know, what constitutes a security versus, you know, what doesn't, uh, you know, what's more institutional bilateral lending versus kind of retail products? You know, all of these are kind of the questions that need to be much more flushed out for um, I think firms to get really comfortable, you know, operating and scaling within the ecosystem. Um, and I think, you know, on, on the Genesis side, it's a little different in that we're, we're much more on the institutional side of the market. And so a lot of our lending looks like, you know, it's, it's bilateral lending to hedge funds done via kind of master loan agreements that you'd see, you know, in, in kind of traditional markets versus, you know, creating kind of a platform for, for retail deposits. So it's, it's a bit different in terms of how we've navigated it. But at the same time, you know, we've always been a highly regulated firm. Uh, you know, our first entity was a broker dealer that's, you know, that's governed by the SEC and FINRA. And so we've historically had great dialogue with, you know, regulators, uh, both, you know, federally and at the state level. Um, you know, our, our broker dealer entity also has a bit license to operate in New York. So saying, you know, as, as in front of regulators as we can to have those kind of dialogues and get clarity uh, in, a, in a proactive way. And I, I do think that's, you know, that's the best approach is really to kind of, um, you know, is to really kind of get ahead of it and figure out, you know, what is the long-term path? How do you structure products around that? Uh, and, and being relatively conservative while building your business. But overall, you know, I, I definitely think that there's obviously a lot more structure and, um, you know, and regulation that needs to kind of come and, and be thought through. And we obviously want to, you know, take a leading position in, in you know, defining what that looks like. This was Matt Balanswag, Managing Director and Co-Head of Trading and Lending at Genesis, and Shannon Alman, General Manager of Retail at BlockFi. To read the transcript of our conversation, head over to Tearsheet.co and make sure you subscribe to Where Credits Do wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, bringing you conversations with industry leaders on the ever-changing lending landscape. And if you're interested in more content, you can subscribe to our lending newsletter and briefing in your inbox every other week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the next one.